We're building our whole life on Jesus. Come on, you may be thankful today, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Well, if that doesn't get you fired up, man, I don't know what will. You guys doing good tonight? Doing good? Welcome to Young Adults. Um, just quick confession right away. Last night, I cut my hair by myself without a mirror, and it didn't quite go how I wanted it to go. So please, no nasty comments. Let's just drop it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, fishing for compliments is what I'm doing. It's a tat. Like, never mind. I'll explain it later scientific but um hey on behalf of our staff to you welcome to young adults we're so glad you're here if you're watching this online welcome to you as well if uh if you're listening to this in your headphones at the gym stop watching yourself do bicep curls in a tank top in front of the mirror you're better than that you're better than that i like really hope that was like that like calls some dude out he's just in the gym like in front of the mirror and then god <laughs> Go do cardio in lunges in a dimly lit room surrounded by brick walls with no mirrors, and then you shall receive your reward in full. That's Matthew 6.52, I think. I'm kidding. It's Luke 6.52. Jesus was super into lifting back in the day, and now he can lift the entire planet just like that with no creatine monohydrate. That's how strong Jesus currently is. Hey... <laughs> Welcome to church, guys. If you had to park far away because you did not get a spot in this parking lot, first of all, we're sorry about that. Secondly, thank you for your patience, and um, thank you for not letting something like that stop you from coming to church tonight. I think God loves you more than he loves the rest of us, so I'm kidding for the rest of us. I'm not God. I don't know who in this room he loves the most. I just know it's not me, okay? I know my place. I do. And um, I tell you guys this a lot, so does Jesse because I think it's important, and I want you to know, every time I get a chance to teach the Word of God and talk about Jesus with you guys on Thursday nights, I, I don't take it lightly. I want you to know that. It's very humbling and slightly horrifying every single time, not because I'm panicked about public speaking or worried about what you're going to think about the message or wondering if you're going to laugh at my jokes, although that keeps me up some nights, but because, but because it's the Word of God, and it deserves a perfect messenger, and I, I can't give it that. Nobody can give it that. Billy Graham, on his best day, can't give it that. Chuck Norris, in his prime, could not give the word of God perfection. Yoda couldn't give it that, right? Trump card, need I say more, point proven, right there. I can't give it perfection, but God is a God who, for some reason, trusts his holy, perfect, flawless message in the hands of very flawed messengers because he's just that good, and his grace is just that all-encompassing, and that, that's just called mercy is what it is. It's just called grace, and um, that's just who he is. That's just how good he is at doing what he does, and not only has he made us everything that we are, but he completes everything that we're not, which is why his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. Amen? All right, you guys ready for church tonight? All right, I love it. Thank you for showing up expectant every single night. I love the expectancy, and I know God does too, and I know that when you sacrifice things like time to show up here and rendezvous with God, he responds every single time. That's what I'm believing for tonight. I think we're going to see some cool things happen tonight. And so can we do this? Can we stand up? Because we're about to read four verses from the Word of God, and like Chad says all the time on Sundays, I don't want to flippantly walk into a moment like this because, because well, although my Bible is just, it's paper and ink, but the words on those pages, those pages are straight from heaven, straight from God to you, and that's a big deal, and I never want to be nonchalant 
about stepping into the presence of God. And so here we go. This is um, Romans 11, 33 through 36, just four simple yet very profound verses. Um, you might know this as the doxology. This is the Apostle Paul. Romans 11, starting in 33. Here we go. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? I'm not sure where I read this, but I remember reading a book where the author said, man, if God truly has created us, then he would have to be so other. He must be so far outside of us and so, so much greater than us that we don't understand the totality and complexity of him any more than the pancake I created for breakfast this morning understands the totality and complexity of me. Like how unsearchable are his judgments? For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who can be his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him. Be glory forever. Amen. Amen. And um, before you sit down, we're going to pray in a second, then you can sit. But tonight, I want to talk about glory and fame and applause and adoration and how badly our generation wants all of those things. It's what I want to talk about tonight. And I've been a little bit nervous, not like once again, not because I'm worried about what you're going to think of the message, but just because I want to do it justice. And I believe, um, I believe God wants you to walk out of here built up, not beaten up, right? And if you feel any kind of conviction tonight, just know that's not the worst thing in the world, even if it stings a little bit. I've been feeling it all week. And I want to do this topic justice. And, and that's why I've gotten a few points from people and pastors who are much smarter than I am. Scott Brugman, Chad Brugman. Um, C.S. Lewis, I didn't talk to him. That'd be kind of crazy, but um, I learned some stuff from him. And Matt Chandler and Jesse and Connor, the rest of the YA staff and my wife. And I just, I, I believe with all my heart that tonight this is going to be timely. And I believe with all my heart that tonight this is going to lift up his glory. And so I'm going to call this message tonight, The Glory is His. So let's pray and then we'll get going. Jesus, we press pause right now. And God, we just acknowledge your otherness. We acknowledge your perfection. We acknowledge how big and holy and powerful and beautiful you are. And God, I feel your presence in this room right now in a very thick, manifest kind of way. God, this room is full of people who want to experience you tonight. This room is full of people who want you to collide with their inner worlds and change things from the inside out. God, I pray that you do what only you can do and you transform hearts and you change lives in this place tonight. We pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen. Give away three high fives and take a seat, guys. All right, that should be sufficient time for three high fives. My goal with this story, just so you hear my heart, please hear my heart, is to make myself sound like an idiot. That's my heart, my goal with this story, so please, I, I hope you hear that. But my senior year of college um, in CU Boulder, I was a part of a young adult ministry. CU Boulder, okay, I hear some claps. I love it. Go Buffs. I, uh, the rise is real. And... Um, I was a part of a ministry called The Annex, which is very similar to this, a few differences. It was on a Tuesday night instead of a Thursday night, and it was in Boulder. And so a lot less uh, PacSun, H&M, and Nike than what's in this room right now, and a bit more Nalgene water bottles and 
hemp necklaces and REI gold member cards and bare feet that haven't been washed in like a week because that's somehow more spiritual or something like that. I don't know. I'm venting. I'm sorry. I'm just painting the picture for you, though. And I had a job, basically, at this ministry. I had a job. Every single week, I was in charge, along with a few of my friends, to make humor videos, to make three-minute funny videos to show at the beginning of church so that people would laugh and feel welcomed at church, which is an awesome concept because church should be fun, and God invented humor. And so if you ever find yourself taking yourself too seriously, just remember, God is funnier than Jim Gaffigan. He is. Either that or a human being is better at something than God is. And I don't know if anybody wants to claim that. I don't think so. Surely there is no one greater and no one funnier in all the land than God. He is the funniest. And that's a ridiculous concept, but it's true and fun to think about sometimes. But um, So these videos, we make these stupid three-minute humor videos, and I learned something I learned something doing this that all of us find out at some point in our lives through some kind of avenue or platform, and it's this. It feels really, really good to be made much of. When you get attention, when you get applause, when you get adoration, it feels really, really good to be made much of. It is a deadly craving of the fallen human ego to want to be made much of and to want to be applauded. In fact, just Google, tonight go home and Google millennials and fame, and you're going to find hundreds of articles about how our generation desires so badly to be known. And when I say known, I don't mean by a few good friends intimately. I mean by, like, popularity-wise, by a lot of people that we don't even know. And, And tonight, I don't feel led at all to talk about social media. I don't feel led at all to talk about reality TV or YouTube or blogging or the celebrity culture or anything like that. Any of those platforms are not in and of themselves inherently bad at all. Fame, being famous is not a sin. Having a platform is not a sin. Having people applaud you is not a sin. Those things are not sins, but here's what I want to talk about, and here's where it gets dangerous, and here's what is. There, and this applies to every single one of us, there is a seed within you and within me that desires to be made much of. There is a seed within you that desires to be made much of. It's a condition, and the condition is not a sin. It's a human condition, but indulging in it is. Indulging in it is. And the reason it's a sin is because you were never designed to be worshipped. You were designed to be a worshiper. You were never designed to, to be worshipped. You were designed to worship. And every time you indulge in being made much of, here's what happens. You just want more every single time. And what you allow yourself to experience externally will eventually begin to change who you are internally. And I promise there's nothing that will more quietly rot and poison your heart than by indulging in glory that does not belong to you. There is nothing that will more quietly rot your heart than by indulging in glory that does not belong to you because your heart is designed to make much of God, not yourself. And this goes back, guys, all the way to Genesis 3 and the original sin in the garden that as human beings, we want to grab onto any bit of glory that we can get our hands on. But the glory is God's. I heard a pastor say it is sinful to crave fame and being famous. However, it is not a sin to want to be influential. That is a good and godly thing to want to be influential, to want to make an impact, to want to help people and help change the world. But can we just be honest for a second? With influence comes a very, very strong temptation to find more pleasure in the fact that you're the one who's influential 
than the pleasure and joy that you find in using that influence to help people and to impact the world. It's just dangerous like that. It's just so tempting like that, which is why influence is something that God gives to us. Influence is not something that we take, right? If the only authority that you have is authority that you have taken, then you have zero authority. Influence is not taken. Influence is given because of how powerful it is and because of how tempting it is and because of how weak human beings are. Because of how weak human beings are. And so God gives influence, and his prerequisites for that are the, is the character of your heart. That's the prerequisite for him giving influence. And that's why like, he looks at the inner world before the outer world, which is what the world looks at is the outside, but God looks at the heart. That's 2 Samuel chapter 16 when Samuel anoints David as a young kid to be the most influential king in all of history other than Jesus Christ himself. And that kind of influence right there comes with a severe temptation to indulge in being made much of. To indulge in being made much of, which is why the more influence, the greater the need for decrease, right? The bigger the calling, the greater your need for decrease. The bigger the talents, the bigger the giftings, the greater your need for decrease is. That's the challenge. And here's it, here it is summed up in one verse, straight out of the mouth of Jesus, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works. That's awesome. And give glory to who? Not you, to your Father who is in heaven, so that they might see your good works and then give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so that's the challenge right there is to lift Jesus up and then to somehow get out of the way, to influence without indulging in the deadly need of the fallen human ego to be made much of, which is inside Every single one of us. And that's why Jesus called John the Baptist like the greatest human to come from humans. Because of his influence and because of his humble freedom from this need to be applauded. He was applauded and I'm not saying he didn't enjoy it. It's not a, a sin to enjoy applause, but he did not need the applause. And I guarantee you, whatever craving he had for it, he tried daily to crucify. And that's what made him the greatest human to come from humans. Needing applause from others is nothing more than simply just a failure to understand how known and how adored you already are by God, how chosen you already are by your heavenly Father. And needing it is insecurity that you're trying to soothe using attention to feel better about you. Let's just be honest. Exhibit A is me, okay? So one of the videos that we made um, in one week um, blew up on YouTube and went viral. And it felt good, all right? I'm not gonna, and I'm not going to tell you the name of the video because that would completely defeat the purpose of what we're talking about tonight. You probably haven't even heard of it, which kind of explains what I'm talking about tonight, a little bit of how fleeting and here today, gone tomorrow, human fame can be, even a microscopic level of human fame. But it felt good, man. I'm not going to lie. It, it just felt good. Like, like, and, and I'm very good at being humble on the outside. People would look at me and be like, dude, you, like, you don't even care that you're on YouTube for, like, on the front page of YouTube for everybody to see, do you? And I'd be like, no, man, not a big deal. But inside, like, the, 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 the nastiness happening in here where I'd be lying awake in bed at night thinking, like, I am pretty much Ryan freaking Gosling right now <laughs> because of this YouTube video. Like, talk about even, like, a little taste of fame. Talk about what it, it destroys any bit of self-awareness that you have, right? Even a little taste of fame is ridiculous, man. And, and I lacked no confidence. For two weeks, I was the most secure guy in the entire world, right? Until the next 
YouTube video came out that we did not make, and it, it blew up, and ours kind of faded into the background, and we tried to make another one to follow it up with, and it completely flopped. And, but still, I got a taste of it, and what happens when you get a taste of it? All you want is more, right? All you want is, and, and here's the thing, like, I loved you guys. I loved the feeling of being known, not intimately by some friends. I loved the feeling of being known by people that I didn't even know who I had never even met before. Like it felt good to walk around CU's campus and see other people kind of like look at you and you know they're thinking like, that's the guy from the video, the stupid video. I kind of want to go give him a swirly to wipe that ridiculous grin off of his face. He'd be so easy to give a swirly to. Let's go. But it felt good, right? Feels good to be made much of until, until here's what happened. All of a sudden, that job is done, and I move across the country to the West Coast to take a job as a youth pastor in a city where absolutely nobody knows who I am, and nobody cares about a stupid YouTube video that me and my buddies made just a few months before. And, and, and it's weird, but like, I promise you, I experienced like a few months of like weird withdrawals. Like, not just, not just being in a new place and missing friends, but like missing the feeling of being known. Because I was known, but I indulged in it secretly. Like, I loved it a little bit too much, and now it was gone and it hurt man in like a weird way it was the scariest thing ever because I was like whoa like I've experienced that feeling before but never with something like this never with something like this and 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 also too like somewhere deep down like knowing like God I, I indulged in something that I shouldn't have and I took something that wasn't mine there was a tiny bit of glory, a tiny bit of fame for me to indulge in, and it was right there for the taking, and I took it, right? Which is the lesson right there, that just because it's there, and it's always there to some extent for all of us, doesn't mean you should touch it. It doesn't mean you should touch it. I'm thinking back to Aladdin. You remember Aladdin? When Aladdin and Abu in the magic carpet are walking in like the the cave of wonders, like the bear talking scary cave thing, you know what I'm talking about? And they're, they're trying to get the lamp in the center of the cave and they're walking, they're walking through the cave and they're surrounded by like treasure and diamonds and rubies and gold on every single side, but they're not supposed to touch any of it. And then they get to the middle of the cave and Aladdin is climbing the stair thing to get the lamp and Abu, out of the corner of his eye, sees like this giant purple ruby, right? And he, he runs over to it to grab it and the magic carpet's like holding him back like don't get it don't get it and it, it, it like the camera the camera it's it's drawings of a monkey <laughs> zooms in on abu and he's just like i gotta have this ruby and his eyes are, are like huge and you can see like the rubies in his eyes and the magic carpet loses this tug of war match and then abu grabs the ruby and then you know the rest bad things happen if you don't know like i, I pray to god you've seen aladdin if you haven't that's on you that's just on you just because it was there doesn't mean he should have touched it. This sounds funny. Abu is our generation right now. And that ruby is glory, is fame, is applause, is adoration. And our generation right now is wide-eyed with glory written across our eyes, just wanting it because it's there for the taking. But just because it's there doesn't mean you should touch it. 
Just because it's there does not mean that you have to take it because it rightfully, rightfully belongs to God. And it will destroy you every time you indulge in being made much of. It's called just pride. It's just seeds of pride that are within us. And every time you do it, it's poison in your veins. I promise you. So just because it's there doesn't mean you need to touch it. But that's the default setting of the broken human heart, right? That's our condition. It's just to always think like about us. And so tonight... Just for the remainder of our time, I want to go, like the sound effects, about him, about him, because here's what I know, awe kills pride, and a godly perspective, a perspective of God destroys a perspective of me, and gives birth inside of me to a yearning to see him glorified, not me. Reverence puts our egos to death and sets us free from ourselves, and I promise you, there is no greater news than you being set free from yourself. And that's what these four verses at the end of Romans do. And so we're going to go through them really quick, verse by verse. Romans eleven thirty three through 34 says this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor. Oh, the depth of the riches of everything that God knows. Okay, so check this out. So from the macro level all the way down to the micro level, God knows absolutely everything. So not only does he number the stars in the sky, but he calls each of them by name and could tell you the exact amount of atoms of every single element on every square inch of every one of those stars and the gravity constants of every planet in every galaxy to the ends of the solar system, which by the way right now is still expanding out in the speed of light in every single direction. And he has knowledge of it all from the macro level all the way down to the micro he knows every hair on your head he's familiar with every cell that's in your body he watches you as you sleep (laughs) every single night watching you knows your every thought more intimately than you do right he knows every leaf on every tree in history He knows every word in every language of every sentence on every page in every book, not only the books that have already been written, but books that haven't even been written yet. He knows my past, present, and future in more details than I do. Who knows the mind of God? How unsearchable is his knowledge and his ways? Yet sometimes I feel like it's my job to counsel him, to counsel him and go, God, I know, listen, I know you're omniscient and omnipresent and omni-something else. There's a third one, but... Have you considered doing things this way? Have you thought about, have you seen this over here, God? As if he's going to go, oh my me. Well, thank me that I designed you and created you. Because even in all my infinite wisdom, I've been stumped about this for the past 75 millennia. Holy Spirit, Jesus, Gabriel, Michael, get over here. Doug has an answer for that thing we were trying to solve. Tell them what you told me. Tell them what you told me right now. In the words that you used, I loved it. You articulate little guy, you. We love you. (laughs) Sometimes I have to imagine God talking to me like that. It's just good for me. In reality, it's probably more like, hey, buddy, I love you. Oh, I love you so much. But you can't even remember to floss every single week. How about you master that, and then you can come counsel me about how to run the universe that I breathed out of my mouth. Let's do that. How about you keep one New Year's resolution? I don't care. And you pick one, keep it for a month, and then come complain to me about the things you think I'm forgetting about. (laughs) Look, Isaiah says his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Daniel chapter 4 says that 
God is in heaven and he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, and there's not a soul in existence that can raise their hand against him. There's not a soul. And he reveals himself to us so that in the Bible so that we might know him and so that we might have an insight to the mysteries of who he is, but not to the extent that you get to counsel him and not to the extent that you can take him to court when you're unhappy with one of the ways he's choosing to run his universe. And thank God that he's like that. Thank God that his ways are higher than my ways. Thank God that he's, he's got the mysteries figured out that I don't have to get. Thank God that he is indescribable and that he, nothing compares to him and he's uncontainable. Thank God that he has all the infinite math figured out somewhere out there beyond all of our finite logic and reason that we invented to try to explain things to ourselves that he already knows the answer to because that's a God that will never get enough worship from us. He always deserves more because he is the rightful owner of every single drop of glory in the entire universe. It gets better. Romans 11.35, here we go. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Everything is his. Everything you own, including your talents and your giftings, your very breath, your life belongs to God. There's nothing you have that he doesn't already own. Deuteronomy 10.14 says this, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Psalm 24.1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Some translations say the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is his. Every breath is his. Every bit of currency from every country is his. Every life is his. Even every moment of happiness Every smile somebody gets to enjoy, every bit of laughter, every good time that is had is not, by Christians and non-Christians alike is nothing more than his common mercy and his common grace that we get to experience that. It's all his, the earth and everything in it, which is completely awesome, also slightly horrifying because here's what it means. It means that you have nothing that you can use to barter with him, nothing. You're not going to stand in front of him one day and put good deeds at his feet and try to strike some kind of deal because even those good deeds are his. You don't get to go, God, if I do this, will you do this? I do this, this, and this. You bless me in, in these ways right here because essentially what you're saying there is you're trying to put God into your debt. And we've been given a lot as a generation and sometimes the temptation is to think that we're owed it, but you do not put this God into your debt. This God does not owe you anything. The earth is his and the fullness thereof. He does not owe you wealth. He does not owe you a husband or a wife or your dream job or your dream house. He doesn't owe you any of those things. Now, our God is a incredibly gracious gift giver. That's one of the things he does best for God so loved the world that he gave. I would say that giving is his love language. He's an incredibly good gift giver and that's what he does. He knows how to take care of his kids, even spoil his kids, but he does not owe us a thing. And the reason I'm not trying to like tickle your ears tonight is because I don't think you want to show up here and have me tell you what you want to hear. I think you want to show up here and hear some truth tonight. And the truth is that it's good and healthy to remember the God that we pray to, to remember who it is that we're singing songs to, that we don't nonchalantly step into his presence, we behold him. We don't nonchalantly step into the presence of this God. We behold him because he's worthy of our deepest adoration and praise and awe. He is good. He is horrifyingly good, which is why even though he owns everything, he still takes delight in the fact that we give to him. 
He still does. Like when your dad, this was C.S. Lewis, I forget, In the Weight of Glory or, or a book like that, I'm not sure. But he's like, if it, it's like when, when you were five years old and your dad gave you $10 to go buy him a Father's Day gift. And so you go out and you're shopping for something you think dad's going to like. And then you buy it with dad's money. And then you come home and you wrap it with the wrapping paper that you find under the bed in the guest room that dad bought, right? And then you give the gift to dad and it does his heart so much good despite the fact that he's not a cent richer because everything that you used was his in the first place. So you better believe he takes delight in it. You better believe he's deeply moved by every single offering that you give him, every single sacrifice, whether it's giving back money, time, energy, resources, whatever it is, you better believe that it puts a smile on his face because he's that good, even though the world is his and the fullness thereof. The last verse is, for him, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So the things on this planet, the things that we chase in the time that we are on planet Earth, things that we see as even like the most glamorous career destinations that you could have, right, that you could arrive at, having, you know, fame, being idolized, being adored, being applauded, having hundreds of thousands of people like your photos on Instagram, having stupid views on a stupid YouTube video, having millions of people know who you are, that's the kind of glory and glamour that makes God laugh. Makes him laugh, man. Like you think of any celebrity you could ever want to be. What fame is that next to the fame of God? What compares to the one whose glory literally thunders, to the one whose glory you can't even stand in the presence of without dropping dead? What compares to his goodness? What compares to his greatness? What can extinguish his greatness? C.S. Lewis said, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. It cannot be taken. Whereas glory and, and indulging in being made much of might be the most short-lived, fleeting, here-today, gone-tomorrow concept that we currently have. Like the lifespan of a housefly is the lifespan of the fulfillment and satisfaction that you will get and experience when you indulge in being made much of. But this is the God we worship, you guys, and I want you to see it. And there's a bit of a contrast, huh, between him and us. And that's not in any way to minimize you. That serves only to maximize him. And I promise you want him maximized. You want him glorified. You want the glory to be his. Like if you just knew how much this heavenly father that you have adored you and has chosen you and loves you and how, how much he is for you, you'd be the most secure person in the entire world. Like if you truly understood and can grasp what is actually real and what you have in this relationship with the creator that made you, your heavenly father, the one who loves you, you'd be the most secure person in the entire world. You wouldn't have to indulge in being made much of. You wouldn't have to indulge in that to try to soothe some longing that you have because it would be filled in him. It would be filled in him. And seeking it, indulging it, will do nothing but... but but ends you up with a hangover and withdrawals as soon as it's gone, and it's gone like that. And trust me, I've been there to a small, small extent. You do not touch the sky by exalting yourself. You touch the sky when your knees hit the ground. You touch the sky when your knees hit the ground. That is where your, your spirit truly soars. That is where your heart truly beats. That is where your, your lungs truly find and your soul truly finds its breath. And, Ben, you guys can come back out here as we wrap this thing up. Um, but when it comes to certain things, and I'll finish with this, 
Knowing is just better than learning. I'll explain what I mean. Knowing something, knowing that something is this way is better than having to be taught that something is this way. So, like, if you put a hot plate in front of me and say, don't touch that, it's hot, I will touch it every single time. I do not possess the common grace or the self-discipline just to believe you. I have to touch it and learn the hard way every single time. So if we're at a restaurant and the waitress says, she puts like a piping hot plate of fajitas right in front of me and says, don't touch that. It will scold your fingers if you touch that. Like, I'll be like, okay, well, we'll see as soon as I touch it, which is right now. Ah, she was right. Don't touch that. It's hot. Like, I have to every single time. But just knowing is better than having to learn. Quick side note. And I'll just say this really quick. I see this concept all the time with people, especially our age, regarding our testimonies. And it's just weird to me because we'll hear somebody else share an intense story about like a drug addiction or about emotional pain that came from a hard relationship that they should have never been in in the first place. And we'll think like, we'll think, hey, that's cool. But we'll also think, man, my testimony's boring. I need to spice my testimony up a little bit. Like I need a drug addiction. I need to get into some relationship that I know I'm not supposed to be in just so I can have some emotional pain and baggage so that people will one day see me also as an example of what not to do. Like, we do, and God help, God help us, I do the exact same thing, and we'll dive into the very things we know are going to cause us harm just because we have to learn the hard way. We are a learn the hard way kind of generation. We are you got to have a good story to tell kind of generation. But then you indulge in it and you find out that the harm was real and that the pain actually hurts and that sometimes it lasts for the rest of your life. And I'm here just to ask why. I'm here just to propose like a second option. You can just know. You don't have to learn the hard way. You don't have to learn those things the hard way. And maybe one day you can, be in, you can have a testimony that is an example of what to do rather than an example of what not to do to the people who look up to you, which in my opinion is far more impressive and very, very needed right now. But that's just the, the side note. We are a learn the hard way kind of generation where we just have to find it out. We can't just know, even though we really do know. We have to see. But when it comes to certain things, like when it comes to a hot plate, it's cute and funny. When it comes to humility and the glory of God, it's not as cute and it's not as funny. It's like you can either know that glory is his and it, it, is, his to, it, is, it is to be given, not to be taken. Or he can teach you that glory is his and it's to be given and not to be taken. You can humble yourself or you can be humbled. It's so much better to show up to the dinner party and take the lowest chair at the table and then have the host put you in the seat of honor than it is to show up and sit in the seat of honor and then have the host in front of everybody move you back to the lowest place. And for a reference on that, go watch The Office, the episode of Phyllis's Wedding and see what happens to Michael Scott when he tries to make the wedding about himself and sit in the seat of honor. <laughs> One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord and that all the glory is his. And I just think, man, that it's better to already be bowing than to be forced to your knees beneath the weight of the very glory you've been trying to steal. It's just better to already be bowing because those who exalt themselves will be humbled. It's a promise. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's also a promise. 
And I love this generation. It's part of why I do what I do. I love, like, this generation is so talented and has so much potential and so much hope. But let's just be honest because we're all, we're all in this generation. We are a generation that is very quick to exalt itself. Like, let's just be honest. We are very, very quick to exalt itself and to, to exalt ourselves. And I just look at that equation of those who are exalted, who exalt themselves, will be humbled. And I think, well, that's not a good destination. So how about we do something about that right now? Because I'm trying to imagine what a generation this talented could do, the kind of damage that we could do in this world if we were truly free from the desire to make much of ourselves, to change the world and not have to be known as the ones who did. See, it's bad to have to learn it, right? bad to have to be taught that it's better to just know but then there is something that's even better than that and it's to want it see it's good it's good just to do what God tells you to do because you know you're supposed to it's another thing entirely to want what he wants it's good to to give him the glory because you know it's all his and I'm not supposed to take it it's supposed to be given if I'm supposed to have it so like God it's yours it's good to do that it's better to want him to have the glory it's better to lift him up and say God it's it's yours I don't even want if if you if you share it then that's great but I want you to have it that's what we do in worship is we we give God the glory because we want it in his hands it's saying hey I have a throne in my heart and for the longest time I've been the one who's been sitting on it but God I want to give you that throne because the earth is yours and everything in it and that includes my heart too and I want you to have this because when it comes to God you do not counsel him but he counsels you and he guides us and he wants to get you to where you want to go even faster than you even more so than you want to get you to where you want to go and when it comes to God's stuff everything is his the earth is his the fullness thereof he does not owe you anything but he is incredibly generous he is a good gift giver And when we seek him first, he takes care of his kids. He even knows how to spoil us. And when it comes to glory, it's all his, every drop. And he likes to share it. Who he likes to share it with is just biblically and historically not the people who want to take it for themselves. Not glory thieves. God loves to share with those who give it to him, those who want him to have it, those who who say, God, it's yours, those who give God the glory and the rest the credit, those who exalt the name of Jesus and then do their best to get out of the way, those who decrease so that he might increase, those who have no interest in building their own kingdoms or their own platforms, but will build his even if it means they're never known for doing it. That's who God shares glory with. Because the kingdom cannot be achieved, it can only be received. Salvation cannot be achieved, it can only be received. There's a trend going on here. Influence, received. And glory is not to be taken, it's to be given by the one who owns it. Just because it's there doesn't mean you should touch it. Just because we feel the desire doesn't need, we need to indulge in being made much of. Easier said than done, I get it. Trust me, I get it. But this is the difference between life and just existing. As somebody who needs applause and needs approval and needs attention to soothe some deep longing that God wants to take care of for you. Like if we could just grasp how much he loves us, how for us he is, how chosen and applauded and adored we already are. 
to walk around that secure, free from the need to be made much of, man, that's a generation that's gonna do some damage in this world. It's there. But I don't wanna touch it, man. I don't wanna touch it. And I feel like those verses right there, like Abu's reaching for that ruby and the magic carpet's holding him back. And we as a generation are just reaching for glory, just glory written in our eyes, fame written in our eyes, adoration. And Paul is the magic carpet in Romans 11, 33 through 36, just pulling us back, playing tug of war, just begging us like, don't do it. It's there, but you don't need it. It's there, you don't wanna touch it. It's there, but it's not yours because nothing will poison you more quietly and more quickly than by indulging in glory that does not belong to you. Let it be given. You're an heir to the kingdom. According to the Bible, according to Romans 8, you are an heir to the kingdom. Trust that. And find yourself caught up in a story where he's the one being exalted. Seems backwards, but everything in the kingdom of heaven is backwards. This is where life is found, I promise. Amen? Sound good? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this night. God, I thank you that you are so big. You know everything. Still, you decide to reveal your mysteries to us. You decide to lead us. The glory is yours, but you decide to share with us. You've made us heirs to your kingdom. That's just ridiculous, God. And we don't always show it, but we come before you right now and just want you to know we are grateful and we say thank you. And as we worship God, we, we, we are gonna do our absolute best to rid ourselves of us and give the glory to the one to whom it belongs, which is you. We acknowledge that and we love you and we pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Guys, let's stand up and let's sing.